Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ness, and in each episode, we highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. All right, now I'm going to talk briefly about the sponsors that make this podcast possible. And keep in mind that all the money from these sponsors goes towards hiring outdoor journalism interns. This year, we've hired three interns and paid them $15 per hour. And over the course of this podcast, we've hired seven different interns, not only helping us report on Oregon's outdoors, but also teaching young college students journalistic skills that they can carry forward. Plus, it's a pretty fun internship anyway. They get to travel outdoors, report about the environment. It's a good gig, and these sponsors make it possible. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that before we get rolling. So this part you'll recognize. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also supported by Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean and forest just an hour from the Willamette Valley that is focusing this summer on the best way to care for its forest, beaches, and waterways through a promotion that emphasizes cleaning up and leaving no trace. We'll dive into how they do that just a little bit later in the show. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department invites Oregonians to explore parks this fall and winter to experience the beauty of those seasons. If you're camping, remember to get firewood from sources local to your destination to avoid bringing invasive insects, such as the devastating emerald ash borer, into parks. This will help preserve the health of Oregon's forests for seasons to come. Learn more about protecting Oregon's ash trees at state parks, Oregon.gov. All right, well, today we're going to have a mini episode where we dive into a report that I published last week about why, after three years, Oregon still hasn't released the fire investigation reports for the 2020 Labor Day fires. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, well, again, this is just going to be a mini episode that we have today that focuses on a very long and in-depth story that I wrote last week about the status of Oregon's fire investigation reports from the 2020 Labor Day fires. So currently, the Oregon Department of Forestry and U.S. Forest Service are in charge of investigating the cause and spread of fires that burned over 1.1 million acres and destroyed over 4,000 homes. But after three years, we've still had almost nothing. I wrote about why that's a problem, when the reports might be released, and how California handles the same situation differently and gets these critical reports out far sooner. Last week, I talked about my reporting with Dave Miller on the show Think Out Loud on Oregon Public Broadcasting. You can find more smart conversations at opb.org shows thinkoutloud. Or you could just Google, think out loud, scroll past the Ed Sheeran video, 
and find the main page for what has long been Portland's best and most informative news radio show. Anyway, here's our conversation. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. It's now been more than three years since nine major wildfires flared up in Western Oregon around Labor Day of 2020. That was more than three years ago, but to date, the cause of only one of those fires has been released publicly. According to Zachary Ness in the Statesman Journal, the other eight are either still under investigation, are incomplete, or have not been made public. Zach joins now to talk about all of this. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Dave. Good to talk to you again. It's good to have you on. Can you remind us first just the scale of these fires up and down the western half of Oregon? Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, if you're new to Oregon and you weren't here for Labor Day 2020, it really felt like the apocalypse while it was happening. There were just a major east wind event, picked up a bunch of fires, and just spread them in a way that has never happened historically. It burned over a million acres. Uh, around 4,000 homes were destroyed. It really was uh, a calamity on the scale that, again, Oregon really hasn't seen in the past. You noted in your reporting that of the nine major fires, we only have the the report for the Archie Creek fire that was in the North Umpqua Canyon in southwestern Oregon. What did that report find? Yeah, that's the only official report we've seen. And basically what it said was that power lines operated by Pacific Power were the probable cause of two of the fires that merged into the Archie Creek fire. The report came from a joint investigation by the U.S. Forest Service and Bureau of Land Management. But I should add that Pacific Power's fault when it comes to Archie Creek is still the subject of an ongoing lawsuit. So there could be more to the story here, but that's what we have for now. What about the other investigations? What are the, the, the different categories of the public not having, you know, a PDF in front of them right now? Yeah, so there's the cause and origin investigation, you know, the act of determining how a fire started and spread. Um, in Oregon, the Oregon Departments of Forestry and Forest Service both do that work first. Um, then they look into the process of, you know, was some person or some company responsible for the fire so they can maybe there's they charge them with a crime. They might seek to recover money from the cost of fighting the fire. Um, so that's sort of the, the process that they're doing. Why Oregonians don't have that in front of them is it's just taking a long time. Again, these were historically large, complicated fires. There was a lot going on, and they just haven't finished the work to the point that they will release it publicly. Although, so one of the things you note is that some of these have actually, they've gone along, and there there is a report um, that in, it's in some way seems uh, seems at a, at a final place, but even in in those cases, they have not yet been been released to the public. Why not? Yeah. After a report's done, why can't we see it? Yeah. So I mean, that again, this there's three steps to this process. So there's that first part, the cause and origin investigation. And you're right. In a few cases, uh, the South Open Chain Fire. There's part of the Echo Mountain Complex. That has been completed. Um, the problem is they go through a few other additional steps before they will release it publicly. That is certifying the cost of the fire and then go doing that investigation or litigation process where they're trying to get money from an entity to pay for the firefighting cost. And that can be complicated. You know, that can require litigation. And so I think that is definitely part of what's holding up the release of some of these reports. 
Now, as you noted, and it seems like a very fair point, the scale and complexity of all these fires happening at the same time, it was unprecedented in Oregon history, and it has led to very complicated simultaneous investigations. So that's an important caveat. Nevertheless, you also note that in California, the investigations for two gigantic fires, the Camp Fire and the Dixie Fire, each of those were released after about a year. What's different in California? Uh, there's two primary things that are different in California. The first is just the resources that California has. So the agency Cal Fire is very well funded, you know, into the high billions for their budget. And they have around 120 fire investigators, dedicated fire investigators. Oregon, by contrast, the Oregon Department of Forestry has about 25 dedicated fire investigators and a budget, you know, around 500 million. So they just have less resources to put into something like that. But there's also a difference in the policy and the way that they go about it. So you asked about why the reports that had been completed in Oregon hadn't been released. In California, by law, they would have been. You know, once they finish these these investigations, they are almost always made public right away, either through records requests or to fire victims who need them. And in Oregon, that's not the case. They have those extra two steps where they have to do that additional stuff before they'll release anything. Until that point, they keep everything basically walled off. If you just tune in, we're talking right now about the slow pace of wildfire investigations in Oregon. Reports on eight out of the nine major fires from September of 2020 have not been released to the public yet. Zachary Ness is our guest. He is the outdoors editor for the Statesman Journal. You heard that in the absence of an official report, especially the, 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 report, the piece of the report about the cause of the fires, that conspiracy theories can fester. Is that happening in Oregon? I think that's the way people feel about how the fires were were ignited and spread originally can kind of harden. And so if you believe, you know, people were setting fires up and down the Cascades, you know, that that opinion tends to harden. I still hear stuff like that all the time. There are other various conspiracies and stuff that I won't necessarily mention all of them, but I hear a lot of that. And the absence of having, you know, the state come in and say, so we looked at this scientifically. Here's what happened. You know, this this is our report. Not 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 everybody's going to end up trusting those, but at least having that report can definitely give people peace of mind. You know, they they know what happened. You know, they can kind of complete that cycle. Um, I just think psychologically, and you know, the investigator with Cal Fire that I talked to definitely talked about that. He said they tried to get the reports out as quickly as possible, in part to kind of squash those conspiracy theories and stuff like that. Because without it you know, again, things can just harden. Right. I, I, it also makes me wonder if if the official um, explanation for the cause of a fire comes out, say, three or four or five years after the fire and after the misinformation has been, has been you know, in a sense, allowed to go unchecked for that long, I, I wonder what difference the official report make can make at that point. I think it, it, it still will help. And it can help with a variety of different things, uh, not not the least of you know the ongoing lawsuits that are taking place now without these. But yes, you're 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 correct. You know, if, if people have decided that 
these fires were caused by X, there's a pretty good chance they're not going to change their mind now. Hmm. Well, you, tra- you talked about lawsuits. A lot of our listeners may remember that survivors of uh, one of the fires recently won a class action lawsuit against Pacific Corps. I think it was maybe more than one fire lumped together for that suit. Yeah, so, four fires. So is a suit like that then at this point completely separate from these official investigations? That's a complicated question, and I would say yes. I mean, they went through this very rigorous, I think it was a six-week class action uh, trial, you know, that looked at, you know, four of the Labor Day fires, um, you know, and some of which, you know, hadn't had final investigations released. At this point, you know, that process is continuing independent of these fire investigations. Now, if the fire investigations come out, it could have some impact on the trial, but I've been told it, it probably won't. Um, so I, I'm really not sure what will happen. It, it can have an impact on some of the lawsuits that are ongoing. You know, maybe somebody who didn't like the result can sue for a new trial. Um, but but yeah, it's, it, it creates kind of an awkward situation. Hmm. What about survivors? I mean, what has this meant for them? What have you heard? I mean, the one thing that I've heard time and time again is accountability. Um, You know, this happened and people want, you know, they not only wanted to know what happened, but they want somebody to stand up and take responsibility. And that's part of what this fire investigative process should bring. You know, it's the state saying, here's what happened. You know, now we can learn from it. And without that, I've been told by survivors like a lot, it's like, if we don't know what happened, how can we learn from it and plan for the future? Um, so it's it's that combination of this, them wanting someone to take accountability and wanting to be prepared for the future by understanding what happened in the past. What about insurance? I mean, is there a connection between these official reports and having a, a claim processed and, and getting money? Yeah, that's, again, another complicated question, because I was told by CAL FIRE and by others that it does help to have a fire investigation report to bring to your insurance company to be made whole. I wouldn't say that I've heard that happening in Oregon, though. Like, I haven't heard people say, you know, I'm my insurance company won't pay me the money because we don't have this. Uh, so I haven't heard that happen. I know it's it's part of the process, but I just, you know, that's not something that has come up. You know, in terms of of criminal investigations, it's not at all uncommon for there never to be an answer. I mean, never to you know to have cold cases that go on for decades. Is it possible that that'll be the case for some of these fires as well? That that even if and when a report is released, there won't be a definitive answer about what happened. Yeah, I think that that is certainly possible. In fact, that's happened in the past. I've I've been reporting on wildfires in Oregon since 2015, so I've done this process a lot. And I remember the Terwilliger fire of 2018 at Terwilliger Hot Springs. Um, You know, they they looked, you know, they investigated. It was human caused. They knew that. Um, And they investigated for two and a half years, followed a whole bunch of leads, and ultimately couldn't find, you know, the responsible party for for of who said it. And so that could certainly happen in one of these cases. Zach, thanks very much. Hey, thanks, Dave. Zach Ernest is the host of the Explore Oregon podcast and the outdoors editor for the Statesman Journal. There are a lot of ways you can get in touch with us. Just as a reminder, if you have comments about what we've done or questions or suggestions for what we should cover, 
You can email us. We're thinkoutloud at opb.org. You can leave us a voicemail. The number is 503-293-1983. I'm Andy Geisler. I'm a forester at the American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Like you, I love the outdoors. On many days, the forest is my office. I work on the ground with public lands agencies on good forest management projects. Forest management helps achieve important conservation goals while providing sustainable timber. Science-based forestry helps improve wildlife habitat, outdoor recreation, clean air and water. And it's essential to providing renewable, climate-friendly wood products. Learn more about us at amforest.org. This message is brought to you by Visit Tillamook Coast. On the Tillamook Coast, we've cared for our forests, farmlands, beaches, and waterways for generations. It's in our DNA, and we bet it's in yours too. While visiting, help us care for our coast. Place trash in garbage cans, pick up after your pet, stay on trails, respect private property, and follow beach fire rules, which means extinguishing fires with water while also checking local rules to avoid igniting wildfires. Tillamook Coast welcomes your visit, and we hope that you'll become a temporary local while here. A few ways to do that include pitching in on a beach cleanup or taking a guided kayak tour to hear about ways to protect bays and rivers. There are science hikes to take, nature preserves and marine reserves to explore, or you can visit a farm, a commercial fishing dock, or even stop by a fish hatchery. Find out about all these options and how to care for our coast at tillamookcoast.com slash caringforourcoast. Once again, it's tillamookcoast.com slash caringforourcoast. All right, well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. If you like what you've heard, check out our catalog of more than 60 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesmanjournal.com explore, along with Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resources Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for the future. Learn more at amforest.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast. If you want to plan a trip out there, you can check out their outdoor recreation map that shows all the places to hike, swim, boat, and camp. You can find that map at tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. Once again, that's tillamookcoast.com recreation hyphen map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time for the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.